episode 23 of Movie Mumble, your monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast where we seek to broaden your cinematic horizons, uh, and our own. <laughs> I'm your host, Scott Murray, and uh, Movie Mumble, for those of you who aren't familiar, is a monthly podcast where my co-hosts and I get together, watch a movie, and then talk about it. <laughs> it's just that simple. There are no rules. We take turns picking films. We can pick anything new, old, foreign, domestic, something we've seen a million times or never seen before. Um, and the idea is that we get more out of it by sharing it together than we would on our own. And that's been true for basically everything we've watched, honestly. Um, we hope to take you along for the ride, and we hope you're enjoying it. Uh, my co-hosts are, as always, Joel Lewis. Howdy. And Tim Gerard. Hello. Both of whom I think would uh, turn their lives into a lie for me if it meant my happiness. Um, <laughs> my life is already a lie. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say the same thing. In keeping, with, in keeping with the theme of our movie... Scott, I really wanted you to open the podcast by saying goodbye, Lennon, and welcome to Movie oh, Mumble well. episode 23. <laughs> so, take two. So yes, as I mentioned, we take turns picking movies. I was, our, to clap, selector. <laughs> I was our selector this month, and I picked the German film Goodbye, Lennon. Um, uh, we'll get to a, a proper description in a moment, but first we're going to do our usual tradition where the movie selector, which is me this month, flips a coin. Joel has brought us a really pretty Morgan silver dollar like it looks like a souvenir almost not like a real thing that we do would throw into circulation I'm going to flip that coin the person next to choose which is Tim in this case is going to call it in the air son of a bitch and the winner of the coin toss gets to choose who gets to or who has to mostly who uh, has to describe mostly who has to describe the film so I'm about to flip I feel like I get more joy out of those little jokes that we do every time than anybody ever (laughs) you ready Tim? yes Tails. It is heads. Timothy, it falls to you. <laughs> All right. The problem is, I feel like Scott has summarized it like in two or three other episodes so well. Yeah. It's no, like that's... insert description here. Like... Honestly, I thought of that during the film where I was like, what if I get it? And I was like, oh yeah, I'll just say what Scott has said. <laughs> so I was like, if, if it had to be me, I'm glad it was this one. The other thing is, it's a pretty but... straightforward film plot wise like yeah. It, yeah. The, the premise is easy to understand did you enjoy it at least Tim? Um, was it, it for the flat, most part yeah it wasn't like well let me let me do the summary yeah, first sorry, yeah. <laughs> no it's okay <clears throat> so and you can gauge by the enthusiasm with which you summarize yes so and yeah and yeah I feel like you could kind of sum it up very quickly and uh well actually and one of the things that, that I was thinking about going into this too is that um one of the panels I did for Denver Pop Culture Con was about sort of perfecting your pitch for your novel. So I was kind of thinking of it with that in mind. Like, okay, if I had to give like an elevator pitch of this movie, you know, which is different than a summary, you know, it's more just kind of the idea of like grabbing their attention, like, oh, that's intriguing, but but without giving the whole movie away. Um, so just kind of like the, the, the basic hit points. So I think if it was like, um, well, and like I said, it's different from a summary. So I... I think yeah the, the the main point of it is it's it's right before the Berlin Wall comes down mm-hmm. it takes place they're, they're in East, East Germany, East Germany. Yeah. okay so East Germany either I refer to either as East Germany the GDR or the DDR mm-hmm. all works right okay but the, yeah the point of, yeah they're, they're they're on the east and the the mother it's it's a family and their their father ends up uh, the mother tells the, the the kids that oh the father you know had an affair and he decided to to stay in the west with his new woman western bimbo yeah 
so the the mother has a heart attack and she's in the hospital and the doctors say like oh you know she she's in a coma because you know it was a it was a while before we were able to perform cpr so she's in a coma in the meantime time while she's in the, in a coma the berlin wall comes down germany unifies so there's no more east and west germany it's just you know one big country mm-hmm. now so she comes out of it and she was very much you know, into the, 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 the socialist part of it. She had all these routines. She was very much into the lifestyle. They show her as a sort of community leader spearhead. Yeah. Writing to the party about problems people face in the everyday and getting getting them fixed. Right, yeah. She's so, taking on the apparatus for mm-hmm. the people who live in her neighborhood, right. as it were. Yeah, and she, she kind of knows where she fits in. She knows what her role is. You know, she's, she's comfortable with the way things are. So then she comes out of her coma... And the doctors tell the son, like, you know, if there's anything shocking that may happen, you know, one more heart attack could kill her. So they kind of realize, like, oh, if telling her that the country she loved is now gone and that capitalism has worked its way into the country and everything is different and we've got all these, you know, Coca-Cola is in there and it's just like, the you know, fashion has changed, everything has changed. The son grabs the newspaper from the doctor's desk with the headline on it about the wall coming down. Like, do you think maybe that's shocking? Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. so, so, you know, the the whole rest of the film pretty much is about him trying to trick his mother into thinking nothing has really changed, you know? Yeah. I mean, some some normal things, like, you know, he, he has a new girlfriend who was a nurse that was taking care of her. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, yeah. sons get girlfriends. That's nothing sure. crazy, you know? It wasn't like... Um, his sister's dating the new guy. Right. right. Yeah. And that was one thing that I kind of... Okay, I guess I'll get a little bit into, you know, what I liked slash what was, you know... I, I like how you put it, fell flat. I don't want to say I disliked yeah. it, because I think it was I done very well. I definitely build it more as a comedy but the comedy is very very German German yeah very subtle wit and black humor which I find as you heard during the watching I I can Mm -hmm. laugh openly at that right but like yeah and it is there and I I got it it will get you like a smirk right yeah so I I feel like I oversold it a bit so in, in that sense so if if you if you loved Fifty First Dates, you will not like this movie. <laughs> However, you know whereas Fifty First Dates was definitely more of a full-on American comedy, this was similar, but but at least it wasn't tricking the mother into thinking it was the same day, and no. and that I think was nice because Fifty First Dates kind of gets kind of frustrating because of that having to relive the same day, whereas with this, like yes, time was still moving on, but it was it yeah, was under just, the premise that you know, you know the DDR is still around, right. They tell her, yeah, you were in your coma for eight months. Right, yeah. she asks what happened in those eight months. They're like, like, oh, a couple little things. Well, she's dating a new guy, and I met this nurse, and, you know, that's about it. (laughs) Yeah, so at least you could still have, like, life moving forward. Um, You know, they they had to, uh, you know, in the time that she was in the coma, the daughter had sort of taken over um, the mother's bedroom, and they had to pull all that stuff out and then re-redecorate. The, 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 the room so it looked exactly how it was and one of the, the touches I really like that shows the sun ripping the antenna off of the radio because it's you know the radio has to be there but it has to not actually be yeah, able to pick up any signals on, yeah she's gonna hear truth. stuff yeah um, and it also goes into this whole thing about like you know a, a new friend of his who wants to be a director he kind of gets him to They're make all these fake satellite TVs. yeah these yeah. fake news broadcasts the so that news, they can yeah. kind of like give, camera, feed her this news this propaganda of like oh yeah this is what the news would be because like because that way you know. there's there's still news on right and it's new every day right it reacts to what happens but it's totally still the east german news i mean yeah. right what else would there be right 
What happened so, in these eight months? I was asleep. What, what would have happened? Right. Nothing. What would have changed? <laughs> yeah. Why, why would anything why have would changed? Anything yeah. Change? So, so yeah. So that's kind of the, the, the idea. And it's um, one of the things I did appreciate were, were a lot of the little details. Like, um, you know, the mother at one point asked for some brand of pickles that she likes. Pickles so, like, he had to try to get these pickles for her. So he goes to the little, you know, hometown convenience store. And in one scene... If the shelves are empty, it went out of business, they're moving out. And in the next scene, all these, it's, it looks like any like American supermarket you would go into where the shelves are fully stocked with canned goods and everything, you know, and it's like, you know, there's the, a surplus of everything. And it was kind of like, oh, I want this one brand of pickles. And it's like, yeah, we're out of stock of those. And so he had to try to assemble all of the brands that she used to know and love. And at one point, he's like looking through dumpsters to find jars so that he can refill them with new products. Yeah, but at least the jars, and, and, you know, he boils yeah. them and puts the labels back on and refill. You know, it shows him a yeah. bunch of times like scooping jelly from one jar into another jar. And a number of that, times through the film, like at the grocery store, when he asks about that brand of food or what have you, mm-hmm. people will ask, like, have you been living under a rock? You're right. Like, yeah. The country's gone. Or they give him weird looks based on the way he's dressed or whatever. But, well, well, yeah, sort of. Mm-hmm. He's like, I have to pretend I've been living under a rock right. because, you know. Yeah. yeah. So. So, yeah. So, he puts on this elaborate lie. Yeah. To keep her from having another heart attack. So, and, and one of the things that uh, Scott and I started to discuss, but we were like, well, we should save this for the podcast, <laughs> is there is a point where the, um, the, the guy's sister has a daughter, you know, so it's the mother's granddaughter. Uh, she starts walking at one point, and the mother kind of is feeling good enough. She gets up out of bed, and she's like, oh, I can walk too, and walks out into the street and has a chance yeah. to see what the world is now. She sees everything. And she's kind of, and, you know, one one moment is a helicopter is, bring, you know, hauling Carrying this top of the statue of Lenin. of Lenin that's kind of with his hand out, so he's, like, waving goodbye to her. to her. Yeah. And she you know she kind of sees her kids and she's just like what what happened so they make up this whole story to kind of explain everything she saw which it was kind of like oh man like she just dealt with the shock of this physically you could have just let her down easy at this point you know but no they kind of continue the ruse and um you know and it kind of moves along they can kind of continue what they're doing and then at one point the mother admits that the father didn't, in fact, just have some floozy over in the West. He went to the West, and she was supposed to follow with the kids, but then she kind of chickened out, so they just stayed there, and she told that lie, and that lie, and he was sending letters, and she hid all the letters from the kids, so they're all upset about that. Um, and then in the meantime, mother has another heart attack, so she's in critical condition again, and the son goes to visit the father and say, like, you know, hey, you know, we want you to see her one more time. And as he's bringing the father back and kind of briefing him on, hey, you have to pretend that the wall never came down, we see the the, the son's nurse girlfriend, Lara. like tell Lara, telling the mother that you know basically blowing the whistle on the whole thing, like yeah, you know it's like there's no east and west Germany, it's gone, you know the walls down, this this and that, and the mother kind of like freaking out and kind of wrestling with her, and then you know they come in and then she meets her ex husband from before, and they kind of have a moment, and then. Um, they they decide that you know oh on the anniversary of the country we're gonna we're gonna tell her but we're gonna present it as if this just happened so they again make up this whole other news broadcast you know edited in real footage right you know and they can they so now she'll know and this this and that going forward they don't have to keep up the charade but they don't have to tell her that they've been lying to her for however long so then in the midst of that 
you kind of see the mother as as they're kind of watching this broadcast she's kind of looking over at the sun the whole you know, time yeah like, which you pretty much get this sense of like and i think at one point she even says like oh isn't that amazing but like you could tell like she 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 knows she knows that he you know did all this for her but part of what what scott and i were saying is i wish they hadn't had the scene of laura telling her because that yeah. kind of blows the whistle on like well that means that she didn't figure it out because i was almost thinking it would be better if it was kind of ambiguous because like did we, she really know when she walked out from into when the she streets? walks outside she goes back she's confused they play her their fake news she seems to buy it maybe mm-hmm. and then they go back and then she's when that's when she confesses i have this lie i've been holding on to mm-hmm. i need to tell you and is she thinking about lies because she's figured it out right is that and and then so yeah so then at the end we could have still had the scene where she's watching their last fake news and and right. then every time she's she looks looking at her at son, sun, yeah. she sort of smiles, you know, because she knows about what he did for her. Right, she's begun to play to. along with it. Right, to appreciate she's made that, that decision, an, an appreciation to... for what he's done. And but but yeah, giving her the bit where Laura tells her was sort of it removed the ambiguity. Yeah, and and you know pushed us into one state. And yeah. I don't. Like, she didn't know before that, and she definitely knew after that. Yeah, you know, it right. was like both like, ends of we that. We went from does she, doesn't she, to yeah. oh, well, okay. Yeah. She didn't, then she did. But on the other hand, I, I like that it, you know, because if, if I had been watching and it was ambiguous and I had come down on the side of, no, no, she doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, they'd had that bit where, you know, they, they, they wouldn't have been able to communicate to me in that case that she knew by the looks she gave her son in that last scene. Does that make sense? Like, if I thought she still mm-hmm. totally bought it, right. I would have had no reason to think that last news thing, like, blew the lid and had her figure it out. I would think she was just, like, thinking about how lovely yeah. her son is and isn't that nice. And so, like, I appreciate that they needed to to make that scene work. They needed us to feel like she knew. But, yeah, the way they did it was pretty heavy-handed. But, see, what was funny was when I was watching that scene, watching the looks, and, I mean, I guess you could argue that, you know, well, I remember seeing that happen. I was like, oh, she knows like I'd forgotten that like two scenes before they had shown her tell yeah. like I forgot about that mm-hmm. and that look told me that you know it, and it reminded me actually of uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue 400 when Aunt May is like really sick and she's yeah. about to die and she takes Peter up to the roof and they're looking birds uh, birds fly around and she's like what's that like Peter and he's like what, what are you talking about she's like what's it like to like fly around the city like that and she basically tells him that she's known no. like the whole fucking time yeah and like that's what that look was for me yeah like that's that was the thing that was the that was an aunt may moment for me like oh shit she knows he's spider-man right there you know and Mm -hmm. uh so that was yeah that was kind of what that moment was for me but then i was like oh yeah no of course she knows because that that scene before never mind and i was almost gonna say it to you like oh guys guess what i figured out and i was like wait no that never mind that's so like yeah so So i don't know like i feel like that from the experience for you yeah yeah. and like that was the thing is i think that look to me did have that impact you know Mm. like like the fact that she was looking also she was like looking at him like not so much at the daughter like not like oh this is my family they're all here with me witnessing this like she was looking at him specifically you know because he spearheaded the whole project yeah yeah i think the other thing about that scene where laura is laura is telling her is a lot about laura as a character because she has yeah. not been comfortable with this the whole From the film. Start. Yeah. And as a nurse, I feel like that scene is kind of the epitome of do no harm. She's at this point, she no needs to know. No harm can be done, right. She's dying anyway. I, you, you need to tell her. It needs to be out at mm-hmm. that point. So I, I, from from a character building perspective, 
for Lara, I'm not mad at that scene, but right. for maintaining the ambiguity for sure. That, I'm that's really glad little... you mentioned the character building because in so many other situations like this where we have the son and the mother and it's about them and him putting on the charade, if you will, similar sort of deal, yeah. all the other characters exist to sort of be dragged along. Or, or they exist to complain about it the whole time right. and threaten to spill the beans. Right. And the characters in this go back and forth and they have their own complicated feelings that change over time and based on what's going on and their own relationships with each of the characters that comes out through the course of the film. You know, the sister, for a while, seems to just exist to be the more reasonable sibling and to be the like, well, I don't know, but I'll go along with it. And like, but then she isn't. She's there the whole time. There are times when she picks up the lie and runs with it on her own. There are times when she steps in to maintain it without her brother's pushing. And there are times when she regrets that and times when she wants to tell him but then doesn't. And then the whole scene with her ripping out the kitchen cabinets to find the letters from her father that the mother had hid from them was her, the sister, as, it's, as her own character with her own unique relationship with the mother and the father. Yeah. And we get to see all of that play out on the screen and drive that character's actions without having to devote huge amounts of screen time right. to that. It was beautifully done. And we get the flashback of the the camera footage of her interacting with the dad mm -hmm. at the drive-thru that kind of sets the tone by for her perception of that relationship dynamic. Yeah. And that totally informs how she rips those cabinets up and how she Can't. shields her daughter from him and walks away, will yeah. not interact with him in that yeah. lobby. Because the other, she's not just there to just be the sibling and to occasionally say, oh, I'm going to go tell mom. No, no, no. Or, or to, or to you know, be the willing henchman. She's there as her own person. Mm -hmm. And the it's beautifully told. You know, they don't lose any of that, despite focusing on the son. Yeah. I've also always had a fondness for his buddy Dennis, who he just yeah, paired with, the Western worker that was stalling satellite, you know, satellite TV. Because uh, Dennis is sort of, he's the most distant of our main cadre of people. But he's devoting a lot of time to the roof. Because it's also his passion. Right. But, but yeah, and he... That's what I mean about, like, like Lara, who's dating the son, or, you know, the sister's boyfriend. Either of them could be like, no, this is insanity. I'm telling her, or I'm leaving, or screw you, you're a crazy family. And, but, you know, but they don't, and it's because of the nature of their relationship. But so Dennis, you know, Alex explains to him, I have this crazy plan, I want you to record fake news from mom. Dennis is like, you mean I get to become a better filmmaker and also help you with your mother? Like, well, yeah, great, done, he's in. And, like, that's it. And because he's not, he's a good friend. But he's not in that inner circle close enough to be making value judgments about their relationship. Right. And they don't. They don't try that with him. They don't ever have some ridiculous scene where he's like, no, I'm taking my camera. Like, right. no. They, again, they, they sidestepped all these, you know, it's not about two main characters and the other characters are there to add problems. It's about real people right. interacting together. Which just is something that a lot of other films don't, don't manage. And something that this film managed to do very easily, very naturally. Yeah, Dennis's character philosophy is definitely the yes and. He, he's, he's, he's very uh, appeasing in that way. It's Im immensely frustrating after the mom ventures out that they continue the ruse at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And I've been grappling with why. And I think it has to do with Alexander's He's getting to affect reality. He's mm -hmm. being being able yeah. to define reality. It's a combination of, I would say, that and that because he mentions in the narration, 
you know, the DDR that we were keeping alive, we weren't keeping the old one alive anymore. We were making the version we wanted. And he says that. Yeah. I think that's certainly a temptation. And I, I feel like think... something to have your, your dad kind of abs... We don't even see the man's face until that party, really. Mm-hmm. It's always obscure. So we have this idea of it forcefully being taken out, almost unwritten. Mm-hmm. We don't really get a sense of that character because he was gone. He affected my mother this way negatively. She was basically comatose before she had the heart attack. Yeah. And then she came back and she was fine again. And so I think Alexander sees this this opportunity that arises because of the trauma of his mom as a way to rewrite or insulate that family unit from outside influence. Mm-hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with how he views the West, at least it, as much as it represents where his dad went mm-hmm. in his mind. The idea of the allure of the West having taken my father and affected mm-hmm. my mother negatively. Here's my opportunity to safeguard her from anything like that ever happening again. Absolutely. And, and then to combine that with the natural fears that he and the other characters all shared of she figures it out, it's going to kill her. Right. And there's got to be this bit, I, I almost feel like they're missing a scene where you know they bring her back inside and we cut to just the news broadcast they made to cover it. I feel like there was a conversation between Alex and the sister of she's not dead, she's really calm, she didn't seem to have any idea what she was looking at. She didn't figure it out, did she? And where they like talk and go, no, no, she must not know. Like where they conclude that she must still not know, mm-hmm. or else she would be dead. She would have just fallen over on the street. You know, either either their fear or or the just that they're so used to a lie by now. Plus, you know, Alex's own desires have pushed them to to see the outcome they want to see out of her little expedition. Yeah. You know, to say. Well, she, she must not know, or she'd be dead. And it's like, well... And that's the thing, that well, would be an opportunity know, for the, right, the sister to say that. Right, they're not the opportunity. They're not... Exactly. And, because that's the thing, that's like, if I mean it is true that it, it, it... Alex has gone too far, and he's enjoying the fantasy as much as it is right. exhausting. Him. That would he, have been the moment for the sister to say it. Right. But she doesn't. She goes along. Right. Because there's got to at least be some part of both of them that still thinks it's necessary to keep her mom alive. And I, I th- or is hedging their bets. <laughs> right. I, I, I think having a scene like that where it's like, she was out there. She seems to be fine, Alex. Let's stop this. Mm-hmm. And him taking the reins, no, we've gone too far. We have mm-hmm. to continue. That might have been a flu. Like, something... Because it, it's not just keeping his mom alive at that point, in, yeah. in my mind. It, it can't be. Mm-hmm. It defies all logic. And I mean, that. that's not to say that the extenuating circumstances involving a family member's health wouldn't make you illogical no, in how you mean. think about things. But well, I mean, the guilt of feeling you're the cause of it, I think. Right, and that's what it. I mean about it would feel natural for them to have that conversation and for him to, not even to browbeat his sister into agreeing, but just to convince her by playing on those same illogical fears that she has of you know like for him like you said he's driven by the fear that's still there but also by his love of controlling this reality but all he has to do is say to her you know yeah she didn't it didn't she doesn't know or she'd be dead right like you saw the if blaze, she the understood blaze look what she, she was had. seeing so yeah so like I, I appreciate you think this is an opportunity but it's it's not and for her to just be like oh, well yeah that makes sense and if she's if we're wrong if i'm wrong about this mom dies 
and then boom, like she's back on the same page. Right. Yeah, we we could have had that. Right. Maybe there's a deleted scene somewhere, for all I know. Gotcha. But yeah. So I, it this film struck me like partway through, as a film that isn't, at least not in the states, isn't going to age. I can't use the term age well, but what I mean is I sometimes watch movies and think, I understand this, and my parents understand this. My children won't. Things like Forrest Gump. Because so many things that are Forrest Gump related happened in my parents' lifetimes, mm -hmm. and they have this first-hand experience. But because it's only one generation away, I have this second-hand experience where that stuff that happened to them is present. It's present in our popular culture. Right. It's present like in our conversations. Kennedy, it's present in our TVs. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like the, that, that image of the soldier with the Delta Grip M16 and the helmet silhouette out the side of a helicopter just means Vietnam. You know, even though those are the same rifles and helicopters and helmets we used for decades, you know. Right. And it's something that I can pick up on because I was next door to it. But if I have kids and then show them these things, that recognition won't be there for them. That image recognition. You know? I don't know. Well, I, I think the language of Vietnam well, in filmmaking sure. is so universal. It, it, it just continues. Like, but the other specific... parts of Forrest Gump and certainly right. parts of films like this, yeah. that there are things, subtler things, that aren't as ubiquitous that they're not going to pick up on. That's the thing. My unfamiliarity with the politics or the setup of East versus West Germany at this time it, it made certain parts of this inaccessible to me, for sure. Okay. And, I mean, that's where arguably the same generation not mm -hmm. removed by oh, yeah. two or three years but I, you know how much have you bothered to go and study the cold war right. divided germany or any of that and i haven't and mine is it's only a little but it was helped by the fact that this film was introduced to me in my european cinema class yeah. while i was mm -hmm. in europe <laughs> so that's yeah. the thing i feel like vietnam specifically has been such a fixture of films since Vietnam yeah kind of that we we understand the language of that and I think that's a trope that will continue to perpetuate and itself. even before that during Vietnam it was on our TV screens right so it was so like it's, it's been, a televised war have been in front yeah. of us yeah for decades yeah yeah in but, color right that mm -hmm. would have been the first yeah. what was Korea in I'm not sure Did Korea, Korea, had a, was, Korea had a more traditional press coverage anyway right but I think that it would have been in color right I don't know not sure but but the but, idea of like the tangibility the realism of footage of vietnam has its its place and it's kind of goes hand in hand with cinema of that time and mm -hmm. the cinema that passed after it sure so and then yeah. it's like with when he travels to the west for some of the first times and he ends up in the the porn shop you yeah. know and the nightclub and some of those are things that sort of the stereotypes remain to this day people talk about oh yeah german dungeon porn like as a just Germans and their porn is sort of a, a cultural, you know, sentence to just right. mention. But how much of that comes from the sudden clash of East and West? Yeah. You know? I, I don't know. Some of my, my favorite sequences in this film are, like, blatantly surreal. Yeah. When he goes to that house, that is this... And you, you see him move from, like, room to room, and it's the... the black and white checkered with the painted naked woman on the yeah uh, the, the, the nightclub and then, then turns you, out this is a nightclub it's a half knocked down building yeah but it's, the way it's shot is like very interior very claustrophobic and as they move through these like counterculture uh, the friction of East meets West is making way for this 
massive sexual revolution and this this punk rock kind of mm-hmm. movement and as, as they're progressing through that and they get to the top and it pulls away and you see that building's just been sheared in half <laughs> it's a dollhouse it's a punk rock dollhouse and it's so so visually stunning and so unlike anything else in the film mm-hmm. and then the the half of Lenin carried by a helicopter yeah it's almost Python-esque. Like that, yeah. <laughs> that yes. level of surreal imagery, the way that is shot, and they kept coming back to it. I was so thankful that they did because I was like, that cannot be something I just see and it's like, what, what the fuck just happened? Like yeah. that was, it, I mean, that's as, as cutesy as the pun of the title goes. Like, right? Yeah. That's that's the joke. And He turns and waves, reaches out to her and says adieu as they go. Yeah, it, it, it's just so... The humor of this film, and especially in how it's filmed, mm-hmm. I'm not so sure. I, I I'm not a fan of films that narrate themselves. I'm, no. That's why I'm not a Scorsese fan, really. Okay. So that those little jokes that you were getting, I think it stems from you having seen them a lot of, and yeah. analyzed the jokes and knew, knew, know they were coming. It's only the third time I've watched this, actually. Okay, fair. But yeah, yeah. And even my first time was much more in depth. Right, because you, know, so you were watching it for class, right? Yeah. So those jokes didn't land as much for me, but the little visual jokes, like the the slowly unfurling Coca-Cola banner just outside the window was just just supremely perfectly timed. And it's red, because, okay, maybe this is Soviet, maybe it'll be okay, what is it going to say? And then you, you can see the cursive, and you're <laughs> like, text. It's, that's Coke. It's Coca-Cola fucking, ban- how do you... Coca-Cola, <laughs> yep. And I mean, to to Alexander's credit, he's a great improviser. Oh yeah, he's able to bullshit like nobody else. It's the, it's the incredible. The thing they bring up says about what did it say about a deal struck between Coca Cola and yeah. a plant in the east, you know, and to and Coca Cola's formula was developed was in the fifties in, in the Soviet Union, which is just such a nice that one <laughs> sentence about oh, and by the way, we invented it. It was like such a such a perfect sort of stereotypical make fun of communism line about like oh yeah sure and there's a line it, it might be later after she walks outside but it's in one of those new broad, news broadcasts and it's either regarding the coke or the western cars she saw on the dealer a lot mm-hmm. but it basically the line says oh yeah you know in their their horrible short-sighted capitalist world they've just kept producing cars slash coke and they have so many that it's just drowning their economy <laughs> so we graciously agreed to take the excess off their hands and which again was just like whoever wrote that knew what they would say you right. know knew what knew what the east would have said about it i mean it's also an interesting commentary on like the power of propaganda as a tool mm. and the ease of use of propaganda even trying to insulate somebody from having a heart attack, mm-hmm. like the uh, be to be able to convey information in a visual audio sense through television and through recording, like the ease with which he was able to create this tiny reality. Yeah. Were you saying it was a part of the trailer that says Berlin ex- or East Berlin exists between these two walls? Yeah. It's Is like that in, from the trailer? Within these like ten square meters, you know. The DDR lives on gotcha. over, over square her bedroom was, right. is the slogan that I just gotcha. I loved because it so perfectly encapsulates what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, just within here, everything is still as it was, and the television sounds and pictures that come out in this room are that way. Right. 
you know, but a television in the next room is not that way. <laughs> it's it's a really neat, and I we're stepping into my very limited studies about life in East Germany and in the Eastern Bloc here, but I love that it it contrasts, not contrast. I guess there's like even the opening shots, they're just of people walking around, because it isn't about. It's not, quote, about communism as a thing, right. so much as it's about the people who were there and the lives they led. Right, and it's and, not about how miserable it existed. Right, and that's they had the joy. distance they... comes away from, from the more typical Western depiction. But, and maybe sometimes it does this a little bit, but it also doesn't exactly deny the sufferings that were there either. No, for sure, that you police know, raid is brutal. The and... police raid is awful to watch, and... The whole, I'm not making my baby wear these stupid plastic diapers, right. right? And the weird clothing they're all putting on. And, you know, as he attempts to reconstruct the things that they have happily shed, some of the things are a nice sort of comforting reminder. Right. Oh, yeah, the way things used to look, this is familiar and nice. But some of the things are not. Some of the things are openly just, they have open disdain for them. You know, and and it, it, it very much grabs the fact that as, as easy as it is in the West, especially in the U.S., to just be like, oh yeah, all the people who just suffered under communism for who knows how long, like, well, they lived. Mm -hmm. And the life was different from ours, and worse in some ways, for sure. But I, but the fact is, they're still people. And they still live. They got up every day. They went to bed every day. They met people. They went to work. They ate food. They had jobs. You know, it, it, it really just smashes the, the simplified explanation of just, oh yeah, you know, awful life in the East, and turns it into a, this is what people had day to day, which is really nice to see. Really great to, to even even through the lens of a film, of a satire, you know, it's great to experience, to learn about. Just so interesting how many layers of constructed reality are at work in this. Like, mm -hmm. there was the portrayal of the east-west conflict in the actual news yeah. of that era and how his mom interacted with that and was responding to and the, kind of the humor with which she was talking about I'm sorry we're not square and round as you assume yeah. us to be like that, that there's that yeah. layer of it but it's also the 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 reality she's created with the lie that your father ran off with a western yeah. whore and didn't write life us. in the West wasn't better, and we weren't going to escape, and we'll right. make, a, make a better life for ourselves and, right here. And the guilt of that, the idea of like knowing, she she realizes that she should have taken her kids mm -hmm. there to have an opportunity for a better life. The pain, like the pressure of that, that she guilt. Have given them the truth, even if it was worse. Right, and that that is at play very like, and that's a great design of the film is to let us know the layers of uh, dramatic tension because we know that they're lying to her as she's lied to them and maybe she wouldn't have reacted so harshly or been so shocked by reformation or a reunification yeah. knowing maybe that it would have been a relief right uh, uh, you know the world giving her a forgiveness right and saying you didn't bring your kids to the west but we but brought it, the, the west, west to you <laughs> it's, it's just really interesting playing between mm -hmm. how the lengths to which you will construct a reality to save people from pain or what you assume will be painful mm -hmm. that's that's the triumph of the film i might not be as interested in the specific context or the the what actually happens but 
what it explores in terms of constructed realities is really quite mm -hmm. remarkable. Yeah. This is a. We haven't had too many foreign films. I think I mean, you've supplied all of them. Well, I was counting up. I mean, Skycrawlers and Shin Godzilla, both right. Japanese, yeah. but also both from the start intended to be sold in the English U.S. market. Mm. Lahain. Um, Lahain. So Lahain and this, both from my same from the same class. Quinn Scotts is Philip Glass, and Philip Glass is English or no? He's American. He's American. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it I mean, seems very European. between this and Lahain, there are two real two most foreign films that they were just made in their country for their country yeah. you know and ended up with subtitles for us um, I was thinking about this like, in comparison with Lehane's yeah as opposed to like Shin Godzilla where they meant from the start they were always intended to do an English dub and release it in North America yeah. you know what I mean yeah just the intent was different and but this one more than Lahane and just not not to Lahane's fault just by coincidence in the, in the films they made it's foreignness feels a little more present in this part it's all is, about context part it's of that is that it takes location. place in the past and again the subject matter of the film of course because Lahaine is much more recent and it deals with urban suburban conflict and Which social is issues universal. and etc yeah. but even for example we see a couple of um, to three or four a handful of times we see outright nudity in this yeah. because it's German we got full frontal they don't care we, we got, got full, full frontal, frontal of a guy yeah. we got a, a few topless women two or three maybe I, don't, yeah. I mean nightclub who knows right. what was going on in there <laughs> there's and a the, lot going and on and the porn shack you know yeah. with the whipped cream porn but... shack welcome to porn hut <laughs> no. porn shack um, it's in the hut porn yeah. shack um, <laughs> porn but, shack baby you know because in that in that case and in Germany in a German film it was it, they, didn't, they didn't care it yeah. wasn't a conscious decision to include this nudity on purpose you know, but it also wasn't carefully excluded with blocked objects in front of people. You know, it's just sort of there, and the casualness of that is one of the most most foreign things about this film, honestly, as an American. Um, but then, yeah, I was thinking that's why I was talking about other foreign films. Lahaine, it doesn't, it didn't have that. You know, yeah, I don't remember it any. It didn't feel super foreign. And again, some of that is the subjects of the films themselves. But just that in the the styles and the things that don't warrant mention or focus, you know that makes sense. Mm -hmm. the, lend this film a, a certain distance from us. I think the other thing that like Lahaine is pretty punk rock. Like I mean, in in terms of its sensibility and mm -hmm. its its philosophy and the counterculture figures we follow through that world, right? Yeah. Whereas it, if this was an exploration of Alex becoming a part of the scene that we right. see Laura take him through, that would have been that's the the sexier story, right? Yeah. Like that's that's And we get hints at that in the background of right. other people adapting to right. the West and This is much it. more domestic. And yes. I think in its domesticity it feels more foreign in quotation marks. Because mm -hmm. that domestic setting is not similar to mm -hmm. any of the, the settings I'm familiar with. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> it almost seems like you know, for it to feel more familiar, they'd have to do like an American remake, but centered around nine eleven, where there's mm. you know like a family living in New York, and it's just like yeah, this is this is our life, and this is New York, and then kind of like something happens where the mother gets you know goes into a coma, and then and then nine oh. eleven happens, 
and then it's like trying to oh, trick yeah. the mother that like, oh yeah, no, this the ground like, zero is the there, thing. That's the twin tower. That's building, amazing. You know? Why is there like, so much security of... <laughs> on the street? Uh, or yeah. like on a plane or... Oh, yeah. Or just like the same... Tim. Huh. This is what I should write this shit. This is what I need to do for a living. That's amazing. But like, you know, but, but, but that would make it closer to no, home. That's, it's, it's that concept, but translated really to interesting. our... You know, and especially because one of the bigger themes here that doesn't land for us but apparently was resonant at the time in, and in Germany was the nostalgia for the East that a lot of people right. have there's a, a word for it I don't remember the word that which can sometimes be honest and sometimes be glossing over the bad things right. and so we see it represented in, with specific examples throughout the film but I mean we see like the, the veterans of the, the East German uh uh, socialist regime, like the idea of those little... Right, the, he says the, to the older people, oh yeah, so my mom was a, in a coma and she actually doesn't know East Germany's gone. What a so world. Says, Lucky for her. Lucky for her. Right? <laughs> like, ugh, yeah. You know, and so it, it, it harkens back to that, the tumult that came with that change of identity for uh-huh. so many people. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, you hit the nail on the head about mm. to give us the nostalgia for the pre-9-11 days to play on right. that. Right, right. Like, like, like fascinated because with it, a, a it Muslim be, household. That's what I was just thinking too. Right. Like they would have to have lived in New York all their life, yeah. where even though they quote unquote look Muslim to everybody, like they are born and bred right. New Yorkers. You know, yeah. so they love New York. They love all New York is, but everyone's now kind of like, oh God, we've mm-hmm. got to protect mom. And, and that that's would be the other part fascinating because yeah. it would be political and social, but different political and different social right. from this film. Yeah. Because right. in this film, all the political trappings are the country. Yeah. and bureaucracy that are about a nation in an 9-11 film the political trappings would be about policy and, and identity. the way it affects people on yeah. the ground yeah. the social issues would still be about identity but it would be less about my identity as German is not to say I'm German is now means something different right. even though I'm still me instead it would be I'm still what I was but that's I yeah just do, again yeah. it would that, that'd yeah. be great like she would probably you know the mother would identify as a New Yorker but like anyone post 9-11 who sees her on the street would identify her as, oh, you, you must be a Muslim. You must be one of the people who's behind it. You know, and and like, whether it fits or not in terms of where, where people really live in the city, mm-hmm. you could totally place it in a neighborhood that you can like, you used to see the towers from the window, mm-hmm. but can't when you go outside, you know? Yeah. But they could place it. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to pull up the map on you here. Right, but, right. But like, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. The so that she can yeah. still go around to her corner store and stuff yeah. and not, you know, mm-hmm. she won't see the ground zero and all the debris and everything. Right. She'll just see her normal neighborhood. Yeah. But changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you'd have to collect all of the movies in New York that still have, like, you know, the Twin Towers in them. <laughs> right. And one of the things I thought of, too, is, like, black. you know, the, yeah, like, oh, we were able to, like, like I was, download the, the first Spider-Man trailer that, showing hi- that showed him between webbing the, the helicopter between oh, the two Twin man. Towers. And, okay, even though they pulled that afterwards, those of us who were actually saved it in, about in time, that. you know, you could tr- play that trailer as part of, you know, the, the propaganda you're showing her, like, oh, mom, look at the new star, the, 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 you know, the, the Dennis Spider-Man trailer. Yeah. the news could just be an internet lover who right. records everything and downloads stuff yeah. and does his own CG right. and yeah, can yeah. make that's a, to, to kind of think about like how the 24 hour news cycle kind of went cra- like that was the crack was 9-11 because mm. you got to got to in quotation marks you could yeah. cover it hours and hours and hours and fall hours and hours and hours and then speculation and all mm-hmm. like the way that reshaped news mm-hmm. and the way it like 
to to craft news differently, like a pre nine eleven news coverage thing to, mm-hmm. to to show would be a really interesting discussion. You could have that yeah. conversation. Like, yeah. do you remember what news used to be like? Right, yeah. Like, like to remind everybody of that. The way like a lot of them are probably like, do you remember what, you know, East Germany used to be, be really like? Do you remember the good things about East Germany? It might be like, really neat if we can if you if the mom is old enough mm-hmm. and you know, the way there's there's a moment in Goodbye Lenin where the mom asks like, Your father's late today, isn't he? Because right. she forgot he left. Right. So if we could, if we're old enough, we could even have her with the news have that moment of dissociation with the way news was before the Iran hostage crisis, mm-hmm. which was one of the first big kickers for 24-hour news. Yeah. Oh, right. That like 24-hour news during an event, mm-hmm. and then right. otherwise just sort of regular trundling along news, mm-hmm. and then 9/11 turned that up into 24-hour just all the time. Right. You know, right. and we could totally split out these three separate eras that they have to to work with to get her to believe what they're showing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast where we invent our own movies <laughs> by pilfering ideas from other movies. Yeah, we should call, H- call HBO. That's all movies are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really fascinating. I'm glad you mentioned Python earlier. Yeah. Um, because the the camera this, work in this is well, so yeah. so almost cowboy. Like it, it, it's so the the way they they what is it. Crank track stuff. Certain shots are accelerated. Oh, it's yeah. almost like it's cut together the way Dennis cut together the footage for the mom. Yeah, that's what it's like. <laughs> and that's, Alex is narrating. Is that because he and Dennis cut this <laughs> because he and Dennis cut this together to show us and say, "Let me tell you the story right? about my mom died." Shit. Um, I'm liking it more discussing it than I w- did watching it, <laughs> which I'm, is kind of the point of the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Python because. The spoken comedy, which you mentioned, you know, didn't do anything for you, Joel, mm. is very deadpan and and just dry. Yeah. And my, I mean, like I imagine most Americans, most of my exposure to that sort of dry humor is usually British. Yeah. But that's a different, it different is. wit. But the fact that it's a different flavor of the same wit mm-hmm. was a, a helpful gateway for me. I see. When I was first watching this, when um, our narrator narrates about the protest that he's in, right. the unification protest, right. he describes it as one night. A large number of people went to get some exercise and asked if maybe they could walk around without a wall in their way. Like, they want their country to reunify. That's a big deal. But the way he explains it was just so, you know, they had enough connection to me to that sort of flat humor that it was a helpful, a note of familiarity to latch onto while I adjusted to the rest of the film. I think there's there's a certain dividing line between, especially Python. Python is yeah. a very specific animal, mm-hmm. but the ah, pun, the idea okay. that <laughs> this humor sad seemed to be Python? taking sad content. Sorry, else we do together. Um, please, Joel. <laughs> That's an Easter egg for one specific listener. <laughs> yeah. um, just the idea that these jokes are kind of delivered with a wink right like it's it's yeah. very subtle but it's very postured it's very dignified the punning whereas python's about silly noises and yeah. what like it's zany it's madcap it's silly and that is silly is not something i would associate with this brand of german comedy mm-hmm. i'm not mm-hmm. as familiar with german comedy but there's a great robin williams quote from a tv show or a talk show he did in Germany, and they asked 
Mr. Williams, do you know why there's not so much comedy in Germany? It's like, because you killed all the funny people? And no reaction. No, that's not why. Like, it's it's a very kind of different animal. And I feel like, like to, to make humor surrounding a kind of the post-unification, reunification of Germany is really I mean, that would be its own master's thesis, the evolution of German humor post the 20th War II. century. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, as a people, how do you laugh as a culture after everything that happened? Like yeah. that—that's—that's that's hard. Yeah. You could do a similar thing about Japanese humor, like yeah. very different peoples, but very. And the Japanese humor would be something that's always fascinated me that I haven't researched yet. Is I studied the post post war Japan yeah. pretty in depth here at DU, and the American influence is uh, severe. Yeah. No, for sure. But I still feel occupy like there isn't in quotations. Sorry, we there still have bases. I feel like there isn't so much of a clear footprint of any culture, Russian, French, British, or American, in any of the sections of Germany that were occupied. If so, it's less visible to me from here in the United States. And I've always wondered how, how, and why that developed differently mm-hmm. across the two places. But because you know, Germany was occupied by four countries <laughs> instead of one. Yeah. And how that turned into a single identity. You know? mm-hmm. And the other film I watched in this class, where we watched a number of films related to certain countries and explored the relationship about those countries and their film and etc., was a film you might be familiar with called The Lives of Others. Not familiar. Um, the Lives of Others actually made it to the U.S. in a way that people heard about it. It might have even had screenings, for all I know, but... Mm-hmm. And how every year at the Oscars there are a bunch of foreign film nominees, but everybody only knows about one of them. Mm-hmm. That was the one for that year, you know. Okay. But The Lives of Others is a very Western espionage drama about the East. It's about an East German Stasi, a secret agent, listening in on, you know, surveillance on people and, mm-hmm. and etc. And it's very exactly what you think. Lots of people sneaking around and dramatic music and questioning loyalties and and whatnot and it's it's it feels so much more hollywood gotcha. uh, but not in a bad way but it's the sexy espionage it's a flavor right. sure but it was really interesting to watch that back to back with this no kidding because they're just so different right in tone and they didn't come out that far apart either mm-hmm. uh, this is say, 90s right i think it was the late 90s the copyright on my dvd says 2003 but i don't know if that's that might have been this, when we got it this pressing that's right. Yeah, right, or the U.S. version. Do they press DVDs? I don't know. I like using the vinyl terminology. Uh-huh. I'm going to do that from now on, but yeah. I don't know if it's accurate. Yeah, and The Lives of Others was mid-aughts as well. Okay. Because I remember watching the Oscar ceremony for that. Gotcha. But, um, did it win? Yeah, I think so. I want to say it. Anyway, um, so yeah, watching those back-to-back was... And that was part of the reason we watched them in the class, was right. to counterpoint two different ways of remembering the East and presenting right. them in film. But it's a similar era to when Atomic Blonde is set, which is another very Western, mm-hmm. very like stylish story set in that yeah. setting. But it's something about the lives of others Western presentation. Mm-hmm. It felt like I'd seen it before. Gotcha. Even though I hadn't. Right. You know, and so it. I mean, it's it's a great movie. You're you, if you watch it, you will be spending your time well. But this is the one I keep coming back to. But. Almost all the films we talked about when we did our Germany unit about German cinema were involved in a divided Germany in some way. Gotcha. And it occurred to me, I, I just, 
I don't really have an excuse for this except that I grew up in the U.S., which isn't a great one. Because when my when I think Germany, my first thoughts are either like present day Germany or World War Two. Yep. Because that's where the most in between. Of the in between, quote unquote, was fifty years mm-hmm. of Germany as two countries. Yeah. And I I remember looking at that film list and going. Wow, the Germans are just so concerned about divided Germany. I wonder if that's such an easier topic for them to approach than the war. Oh my god, this was most of their lives. <laughs> like, duh. But just, like, the impact of that was, you know, for people who were living, the impact of a divided Germany was just so much more and so much longer than our American perspective of, oh yeah, that war that lasted for six years, you know, which we were in for four, you know. So... Yeah, I just that was what a that was such a shift to me about the difference between how what other countries see in themselves and what we see in them. That that and therefore this film represents for me a, a very much a, a reminder to try to try to seek out knowledge that doesn't come easily because of where I am, you know. Like don't just don't just go, Oh yeah, I'm not just gonna go watch the movie that, that one guy made. Like, go find the movie that's in their language that you can't find. You have to get get your library to order from the next branch over. <laughs> right. Just as and it, it just it never occurred to me, you know, how much of our worldview is shaped by what we present to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know? And of course that whole class was very useful for that as we worked through we worked through units on France, Germany, the United Kingdom and uh, Spain. We ended up not having time to do Italy. I'm actually very disappointed about that. Um, yeah, you missed some some quality stuff. In but you know, Italy. just the way that that shifted from place to place and era to era was just so remarkable. Mm. No so, Fellini. Sorry. No Fellini for you. No. Not in that no. course. No. I, uh, Italian films have found their way to me through other avenues, no. but not in such a such a close examination. Yeah, I imagine I will be bringing some Italian horror soon. Giallo style stuff. Here's another pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Goodbye Lincoln takes place post Civil War. I was War. gonna say that when you said the 9/11 thing. That I would was be like, so fucking awkward. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it'd be a Southern family, right? And you'd yeah. have to try to convince the but mom. That, really oh no, we still have slaves, mom. Oh, well, shit. it would be neat to do instead of a plantation family to just do an urban Southern family. I guess that's true. Because yeah, their direct interaction with slaves was so much less mm-hmm. than what people tend to think. Like, obviously, it was present and it was there. They knew, right. but but the, their interaction with slaves would probably only be like when they traveled or when they went to someone's plantation. You know, it was all secondhand. Yeah, not all, but you know what I mean. It was less direct. So that'd be really fascinating to try I, to do that. I feel like there's <laughs> not a way to do that respectfully. <laughs> that's, that would be hard. I mean, I think hard. I think there's and people a in the South would love it. Yeah, God. <laughs> what a world! <laughs> like I, it would be interesting, and you could do it and like have on to a be border in a coma for several years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. the whole war, right? <laughs> well, I mean, the idea that you, if you had somebody on the southern side of the division, but very close, so they're familiar with. Okay, just over there, there are freemen, mm-hmm. right? Like that, Maryland, even right? Like yeah. I think there there could be. Or Northern Virginia or something. That yeah, just hurts, great. though. That that one's like <laughs> nobody wants to. <laughs> You'd have but to get like in keeping with the idea of two nations, right? There are two different political yeah. entities. Mm-hmm. You'd have to have like Spike Lee would have to do it, like yeah. for it to be watchable and yeah. appropriate. Anyone else you make the pitch, all you hear is. <laughs> <laughs> 
that one's for like not even in a notebook. You don't write that one down. <laughs> what made me laugh as Goodbye I was thinking Lincoln of that. Goodbye Lincoln is good though. Yeah, exactly. I that like was the that thing. Name. I was like, oh man, this is okay. This is. I wasn't. I almost wasn't gonna bring it up, but I was like, okay, that title is too good. I can't. <laughs> or like Chappelle Show. That's who needs to do this, right? Yeah. No, that would be yeah. <laughs> uh, <it's, laughs> that show is such a blunt tool for so <laughs> such good commentary. <laughs> be interesting to see him come back and do it because I think he would I don't think it would be as good and I don't think like even based on his 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 new stand-up I don't think he is in a woke enough place to do a commentary that's as valuable as Chappelle show which is almost why I want him to do it because he gives like negative fucks at this point no indeed well but no he has said it's time to make America wait again because he's done he doesn't want to have to defend his shit anymore yeah I I think that's if if we think of Key and Peele as the natural evolution of the type of commentary that Chappelle show did and I don't know if that's a fair after, thing. After Get Out, too, I mean, he can handle these topics with nuance and weight. Yeah, yeah I mean, Peel, for sure, Jordan Peel can't. But the idea that. That's what I mean. He could bring that. No, bring the two worlds right. together. Yeah, the, yeah. The, no. the feature version of him and the comedy version of him. Yeah. To, yeah. I think Chappelle was very good at commentating on the black experience in America. I think that was what he was good at. Mm-hmm. I think what Key and Peel did really well was bringing a biracial identity and yeah. that weird negative space or neutral in between space to the forefront and being more woke and more gay positive yeah. and those kinds of identities mm-hmm. better but it still has drag in it yeah and that's problematic well, so i feel like like we need a trans chapelle that's right. that's the next evolution of that. right but, but i mean to handle something civil war era no but sure yeah, yeah. well also i feel like like chapelle's whole thing with his new stuff I feel like he even mentions this, where it's kind of like, you know, he very much, you know, Remember he's, when he's I was old right? school, <laughs> you know, where it's like, like, you know, everybody else complaining about stuff now, your race wasn't enslaved, you know, that was, that right. kind of seems to be his thing, where it's right. just like, you know, like, no matter how bad you had it, you didn't have it as bad as black people, like, right. so that, and which, so That's coming from that perspective, yeah. I kind of like, okay, I see why you're why he sometimes treats other things lightly i don't think it's okay i don't and, and like you're saying i don't think he should be representing the next right. generation because of that um but i mean I, I guess at least there's a yeah and maybe that's the thing maybe you're not supposed to be making a distinction then again i also feel like i feel like there is a sense of like oh well you're part of a marginalized group aren't you supposed to care about every other marginalized group and it's like hey man like most people are just I, I just want to live my life without right. people fucking with me you know so like I, I get it but yeah you're right like okay it's time to pass the torch right you know I think I think something about Chappelle specifically is that he does not think intersectionally yeah his struggle is his struggle and that's right. the thing most vivid to him and that's what right. he's had a platform to discuss yeah. and explore and he doesn't have the material mm-hmm. to empathize well he empathizes but he doesn't 
know enough to talk about it with any kind of accuracy right. and that's why he gets in trouble yeah it's like when his struggle was the big thing he fit right in but now that the struggle is adapting and growing and changing he's not adapting with it right. it's like well wait it's still about my struggle he's, it's like, he's getting older too yeah. it's like once <laughs> once you're no longer the young angry man it's hard to maintain the old uh, old angry man yeah he, he becomes an old bitter man instead right. of a young impassioned man right mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about Goodbye Lenin except for Lara who's Russian everyone in this film is German yep because the foreignness comes from West Germany right so the, the whole, Western influence. Yeah, yeah. The whole presence of foreigners is just other Germans. Right. They serve that, that purpose in the film. It's really weird to think about, actually. That's another, like, I... Th- just trying to comprehend having the two different countries yeah. that are the same country is... That's less something about. that's discussed in Civil War films, which I think is an... In- that would be an interesting commentary, for mm-hmm. sure, to talk about the American Civil War and the identity of the two nations, like... But you can't have that discussion without slavery, and I think that's the problem with having this kind of discussion. What Goodbye Lenin is about is so about the domesticity, and if you talk about the domestic lifestyle of Civil War, United States and Confederacy, it like part of the wallpaper is slavery. Like and that's are, that's will accuse you of ignoring the big issue, right? And I mean, rightfully so, but you can't have a, a problem. Prob- yeah, right? I mean, the problem is you can't. There are times the big issue needs to be not ignored, but just not the thing you're talking about for once, you know, right. because the other issues that are there influence the big issue. You know what I mean? It's yeah. all connected. It's like to say we're going to take a chunk of time and talk about something you didn't expect isn't saying, it, you know, fuck that issue. No, for right. sure. A, but, but you're right about if the film were to release, that that's what would happen, yeah. I think. People would be like, I think, could I, you? I think there, there, there's an opportunity for that kind of storytelling but it's not in the next 15 years I don't think even like Saving Private Ryan they added that little bit of of like Holocaust wokeness with the the Jewish soldier and the confrontation with the Jewish soldier at the end with the knife and everything Uh and his whole his whole character basically serves no purpose other than for the film to say hey we know about this hey yeah look at all this you know the film could have instead just been about about find the right. whole the main mission the ethics right, right, of finding right. one man at the expense of others right but because it's world war ii they either felt obligated or or just sort of did it without thinking to, mm-hmm. to toss in that bit of this just comes part and parcel that's spielberg you know what I mean? right yeah yeah i'm uh, not not to not sitting here going god that ruined the whole no, movie no no, no. I, no I, it's I, just, I was it's just, just trying right to contextualize because like, that was his second world war ii era film right schindler's list is his first, first i think yeah but yeah about like you could have just had Saving Private Ryan without a Jewish soldier in it. The film would be the same. They still go to the same places, they do the same things, it would bring up the same moral and ethical questions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in, in keeping with... And I, again, I, it's fine. Yeah. But just, you're right, to make the same point about... To, to make a film about a single family post-Civil War, and, and even if, not if the reality of the situation was that that family's connection to slavery was distant at best, to make that would bring criticism right Right. so they would need to do a a similar sort of thing to bring that in somehow and be like see see you know we're we're paying attention like see yeah yeah so i guess i did either of you really love this film like it just kind of meh i the term fell flat 
was yeah. was the, the operable term of the day for you, Tim. Yeah, because intellectually it was it was great, stimulating. It sure. was it was you know put together very well. It was you know it, you know again like like the disclaimer I like to give is it's not a criticism of the film. It was my About my taste. Yeah, right. my no, taste. Totally. Um, but yeah, like being able to kind of observe it. Like, and I think that's why sometimes films work after the fact. Like when you're sitting there and you're in it and you're experiencing it and you're going through the time of it, and it's kind of like you know there were were times where it, you know the pacing was a little slow for for my liking, and and I, I tried to tell myself, is it like, well, is it just because you're an American and you're used to everything so fast? It's like no, like <laughs> no. there are slow films that I like, yeah. but usually you, just, you liked it as as a piece of conversation and information yeah. and thought, but not as a piece of recreation. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Joel? I, I think I engaged with it the same way. I'm. Mm-hmm. There, there were definitely, like I said, those two surreal moments really yeah. were the things that. Okay, there, there's, there's value to this. I want to continue to watch this. I think it, it might come from you just having summarized it so. Yeah, and specifically I oversold the comedy for sure. No, no, no. I, I don't think that's it at all. I, th- I think it's because I knew kind of the beats of the film already yeah. going into it. It was okay. Well, what else is there? Here. Yeah, that's and fair. that that because you you talked about like moving physically taking the labels off of things, so I knew that yeah. was coming. I knew like I wanted to, to explain one of the easiest and most visible yeah like bits right, but without trying to spoil all of them, and yeah. I sort of did anyway. <laughs> no, and, and I mean that I think we're all kind of learning from that because how we're contextualizing these films is in fact is affecting how we're perceiving. The same thing with there will mm-hmm. be blood the last mm-hmm. time where. It, and Bronson, like, I feel like I keep showing you things, Tim, where you're like, the fuck is this, man? I don't know what this is. I'd like to be able to talk about it, but I have no context or too much context or I don't care. Like, I feel like we're, we're, we're that's something unexpected about the podcast format is that, yeah. like, we, we chose a lot of fun and I, I'm, I'm, you know, weird headspace right now where I'm like would I watch this or Coin Scotsy again? And I feel like I'd watch Coin Scotsy again but I'm not sure why. Nothing yeah. happens in that movie. Well, yeah, but experience. I, I don't know, and not, not to say that one is better than the other but one appealed to me more and I'm not sure yeah. And then to add to, I have a very personal connection with this just from the story about the family having trouble and the constant shifting nature of relationships within the family and the question of what you know crimes not like legal crimes but familial crimes you'll commit out of love that resonates very deeply personally yeah so that certainly adds another level of appeal to the film that isn't going to hit with everybody and that's the thing like I I I, I think it just comes down to taste, and it, it, it yeah. just it, it it was. I don't know, like, and I don't think it has something to do with like our tastes are fundamentally different. Because I loved Mystery Train, and I loved right? Lehane. Yeah, those movies, like I I really, and that's if you talked about Mystery Train and like how kind of bizarre and the nothing happens about it. Yeah. There is a there is literally a Chekhov's gun, right? But <laughs> yes. like. Those those stories are really compelling, and the characters are really interesting. And just mm-hmm. I was able to latch into that so much more. I think I was just frustrated by yeah. the 
the situation that these characters found themselves in and like because on the one hand there's the characters just as people who things are happening to yeah which is the personal level the part that resonates with me mm-hmm. but the that's just a tiny piece of the film yeah the greater purpose of the film is these characters as a microcosm of the east german experience yeah no for sure mm-hmm. and yeah so missing that that latch on to the characters themselves right. bit yeah leaves something that's very academic yeah yeah that's the thing. Like, I, I love the way it's shot. I think it's really effective filmmaking. And I think it's really funny the way it's cut together. And like I said, I've really enjoyed discussing it because yeah. the things at work in it are really interesting. Yeah. And and that I'm, I feel like I, I shit on the film. Worth watching the discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I don't feel like you did. Not at okay. all. No. I'm glad yeah. to have watched it with you. No, exactly. I would not have watched it without right. you. And there are a lot more films. That I, we've, I know I've said this a million times. It took my class in Europe about cinema in different countries but also a whole class about Holocaust films mm-hmm. and then I ended up my class about post-war Japan we watched a number of films in there too and it, yeah there are lots of films like these that I brought because I love them and I bought them but there are plenty of films in those classes that I watched I don't really give a shit about or to watch again but by god the study of them was so satisfying right yeah so no I, I exactly get what you're saying yeah mm-hmm Actually, one of our UK films was like that. We watched East is East. And as a piece of entertainment, I could not possibly care less. <laughs> but as a thing about which to begin that class as a discussion about racial issues in the UK and how they were different compared to the the mostly American class and then the other countries the other students were from, yeah. etc. Oh, that was that was great. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's, it was a great thing. It was a great thing in my life. But it, I wouldn't call it a fun film, you know, <laughs> that I want. So, I, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from there. So, yeah. So, I'll call this a success, yeah, but no. not in a traditional manner. <laughs> um, an, an traditional it was an success. East German success. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds great. Oh, man. So, um, do you think we should bring out your favorite segment, Joel? Is it time? I'm, it is time. It is time. It's always time. For... It is it is time for <laughs> another situational movie recommendation. I'm gonna go off the list because I, I think it's off it's list. fun. Improvise. So for this month's uh, situational movie recommendation, what is your favorite movie to watch that involves a movie long deception? So Ooh. in the spirit of Goodbye Lenin... Goodbye Lenin? No, no, can I just answer be, with this? No, I'm, I'm, what is a movie that you enjoy that has... A movie long deception. A movie long deception. I want to point out, I've already thought of... There's the movie long deception in Goodbye Lenin, where we know about it the whole time, mm-hmm. but there's the movie long deception in something like The Usual Suspects, where we don't. The audience doesn't. Yeah. There's both kinds. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's interesting. I feel like both of mine are problematic, but I have them both. Is one of them overboard? <laughs> no. Star Wars. No. That would be that would be problematic. I'm your father. <laughs> I haven't seen Overboard in such a long time. Uh, I have uh, a feeling that would not age well. What an unfortunate film. <laughs> it's fun. I remember enjoying it. Like I, I don't know. I never saw it, but like you know, kind of like, and I feel like that's that's the worst when it's a movie I haven't seen, and then someone tells me the premise of it now, and it's just like, what oh, the fuck, because <laughs> <laughs> um, that's taking advantage of somebody's amnesia, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely like, oh, I'm your husband. It's, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, Fifty First Dates is a little 
little fucked up. Like it could have gone really dark. And I think the yeah. idea, like that, we know Adam Sandler is not a creep the whole time. That right. is the only way it works in quotation marks. Yeah, and because kind of like the family's in on it because they see what a good guy he is right. too. So it's yeah. like, and they're kind of like. You know, with the videotapes he's making, he's still kind of like letting her make the decision every morning. Right. Yeah. Um, and, the, and and because the family's part of it, you know that there isn't deception in the videotape he's making. You right. know, he's like, oh no, you love me. It's like, okay, we've seen you make her fall in love with you every day for the past however long. So it's like, okay, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I have trouble this actually. Yeah. I just thought of two, but they're they're both television series. And one of them isn't even a deception. It's just that at the end, a character makes a decision that's unexpected. Oh, blew my mind. I'm having trouble. I mean, my first instinct is, of course, Fight Club. Ah, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Um, That's that's your new that's your matrix for this next cycle. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) If we ever do a favorites, that's what's coming. We're in a post matrix (laughs) cycle. (laughs) Will we ever be in a non post matrix? my life in two ways before i watch the matrix and after i watch the matrix it's never been after because you're still watching it right i'm still in the matrix um i should probably go yeah since yeah, I have my, yeah. uh first is mrs doubtfire oh, oh that's a good one yeah which there's a lot of problems with that premise right like if somebody in reality dressed in drag to be close to their kids because of a bad divorce and then was found out at the end dude would be in jail like full acknowledgement of that but it's Robin Williams and it's a great accent and it's fucking hilarious and a really wholesome like the the message at the end the idea that families are unique groups they don't always have to be mom dad Mm -hmm. brother sister dog like it, yeah. it the the positive message about a family union not being what you thought it was and right. still being able to be happy that's really positive yeah and it, it's the reason i love aerosmith so much because it's the first time i heard dude looks like a lady <laughs> as they're going yeah. on the beach that's the origin story of joel as an aerosmith fan <laughs> um any other tootsie which is uh, the same thing but it's dustin hoffman in drag <laughs> pretending to be a a, a female actress which is also super problematic (laughs) but (laughs) it's a really earnest performance and it's really genuine and the reason it works is because like it's not creepy it could Mm. definitely have devolved into creepy but well and and this thing is i I haven't seen tootsie like as far as mrs coming to the fucking podcast (laughs) but like as far as mrs doubtfire i think part of why that works like as a movie like you said in real life this would not go down like this but like as a movie, like like we know Robin Williams' character's intentions. You yeah. know, we're not viewing the movie from Sybil Shepherd's point of view. Right. You know, we're viewing it from his point of view, and we know that he's just trying to be a good father and just trying to see his kids, and he's you know he's not doing it to be a, a creep. You know, and, and like it's making him you know, a better man. Yeah, right. And, and I like the moment too, where the son like catches him going to the bathroom. And how he kind of freaks out that it's just like, oh man, like this is, you know, and, and I guess you could label that as being transphobic, but I think it's just the fact that like, hey, there's some strange dude in our house, you know, like somehow like an old British woman isn't scary. Mm-hmm. But also if you're, if you're a dude who's doing that under a false pretense, like, you know, I, I guess that takes another level of scariness and creepiness. Mm-hmm. 
But um, and I guess if you're looking at it from someone who's purposefully being, I, I don't know. I guess you could argue that it is transphobic. But but then again, he's a kid, you know, and it's a stranger in his house. And it, and again, I think the point isn't. It's not some a point the movie's trying to make. It's a, a reaction a character makes, which I think is right. somewhat valid, you know. Um, but then finding out that it's his father, and then that the two older kids are in on it. And they're going along with it because they know their dad's a good dad and they want to be around their dad, you know, and it's not, um, I feel like that's, that helps it because now he's not also um, deceiving the kids, kids, you know, except for the younger one who, you know, like, oh, well, she's too young. She won't be able to keep the charade up, you know? So like, I think those things kind of help it like where it is, it is clunky. It is awkward, but I think they kind of make it work because we're, yeah, like I think, and it's really interesting too, because I feel like that's a big problem nowadays in general is that like not knowing what people's intentions are you know and that a lot of actions you know like the kind of like the joke like you know a guy standing outside your house in the middle of the night in the rain with a boom box is that romantic or is that stalkerish right you know and but because we kind of we're supposed to be rooting for we understand for the him. earnestness of that right. gesture it's romantic but if we're the girl is like hey man yeah. like i slept with you once and now you're being really creepy and staying out like that's not cool then it's super stalkery right. you know so, yeah, like I, I feel like it's it's an interesting that, you know, in life we don't we don't get that you know we don't get to kind of know someone's intention because I feel like that ultimately is what should make that distinction, you know. But then again, you know that's the thing. If you're the person who that action is coming towards, like yeah, it's ultimately up to you to decide. Like I don't I don't care that how much you like me, it's creepy. I don't like it. You right. know. Um, the thing with Tootsie too is like that. The man is taking a woman's place and takes work away from women. That's what's fucked up about it. Yeah. And there's a little bit of, like, the what women want thing, where you know you have this position of specific information and you can use it to manipulate your power dynamic. But the way it forgives that, in quotation marks, in this, is that every time he tries to use that information, he gets a drink in his face. Like, it doesn't work. <laughs> every time he, he discusses something with somebody and then uses that information as a man, it fucking blows up because it was not, like... So it, it undermines that power dynamic. But there is... And that's the other thing, that Michael Dorsey's character is a schmuck and he treats people like shit and then through discovering the other side of that through his charade as Dorsey or Dorothy Michaels, he is becoming better and is punished for the things that he was doing. So th- mm-hmm. there's 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 that dynamic to it as well. Yeah, and I think that can be useful to like as a as a redeeming thing. Yeah, you know. And um, well, then if if you want to flip it, maybe another one of my favorites that I just thought of would also be "She's the Man." With Amanda Bynes was that Twelfth Night? Is that what that's based on? Is that the Shakespeare? I one think so. Yeah. yeah, the Shrew. Yeah. No. I no, no that's not. Ten Things I Hate About You. Thank you. Um, we we've had exactly <laughs> that had same sign back before. But no, but well, so in this case, it's a it's a female pretending to be a male. So right. it kind of removes yeah. that sort of like you know a, a, a oppressive gender aspect of like you said taking a, a, the place a work of, away yeah. from a woman. You know, she's taking her brother's place and getting to. And I, I, yeah, it's like the total opposite. Where now she's getting to get the recognition and get the opportunities because she's pretending to be a guy, and kind of showing that she will work as hard as she needs to to be just as good, if in some cases better than the other guys that she wouldn't have been given mm-hmm. as as a girl and stuff like that. So, 
Um, and it's just funny as hell. So that's yeah, that's that's my other deception film. <laughs> so I, I mean, Goodbye Lennon is genuinely one of my answers. Yeah, no, for but, sure. You know, we just watched it, so yeah, it's just <laughs> one of my favorites. Cheater! Um, you reminded me of Big, actually. Oh my you god! Know, this is Doubtfire. Yeah. I love Big. Which I guess isn't one of my like proper answers, but just you reminded me of it, and that's yeah. so great, isn't it? And it's a yeah. different deception. Right, you know, kids there, and adult. I, yeah, I mean there is. Yeah. problematic sex in that yeah. film but what <laughs> film doesn't have problematic and then, sex yeah. I, in terms of a film I don't otherwise enjoy but it has uh, The Tourist I think it was called yeah. Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie yeah. and so that, the whole premise of that film is whether Johnny Depp's character is the, the big crime boss they're all looking for or is, or is just some dude who got sucked into yep. this and for me it fell flat instead of me kept on edge the whole film is he resonating I got like halfway through and I was just like, I just, I don't, I'm so exhausted. Like, just fucking tell me. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Did you go in knowing that that's what it was about? Yeah. I saw, okay. I saw a trailer somewhere. So I, I went in completely cold and I was like riveted See, the whole time. Yeah. I guess because I knew that was what the central mystery was. The right. way they spooled it out. Yeah. Didn't. Anyway, but the scene towards the end, the sniper scene. Yeah. That one scene is phenomenal. Like, I, if I find this cheap somewhere one day, I'm going to buy it just so I can watch that scene again. Yeah. So my proper answer then, I guess, because Goodbye Lennon is my emotional answer, yeah. academically becomes Citizen Kane okay. with Rosebud. Yeah. Because, and I mean, everyone knows this already, it's yeah. been spoiled. I knew it before I watched the film. But just in terms of its execution, right, they set up Rosebud as something important. Mm -hmm. And we spend the whole film inching closer to it, but sometimes forgetting about our goal. And at the end, it just gets revealed as... You know, depending on who you are, it gets revealed as like, oh, it's a sled. Or, oh my god, it was a sled. Like, one or the other, just mm -hmm. as, I know it's cliche, but it's the pinnacle example of the, the film long deception. And mm -hmm. we've talked before about how much I, I think Citizen Kane absolutely deserves all its hype, so I'm basically just saying that again. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah. I had one more, and I can't. Oh, I just had it. I thought of one more, but I'm not going to say it in case I bring it to the podcast. Okay. I don't want to ruin it by being like, oh, this movie has a... Oh, okay, and then gotcha. we watch it, it's like, oh, yeah, so that must be this. Oh, damn it, what was it? What were we talking about right See, before See, I don't Citizen mind Kane? talking about Citizen Kane and bringing every, that, because everyone know. knows already. Yeah. yeah. Um, Big and Goodbye Lennon and The Tourist. Giant Depp and Angelina Jolie sniper scene. And you went into DVDs. it not knowing that he was, but you know, was speculating. Shutter was Island on. might actually spoiler. be. <laughs> well, I'm not going to spoil it. But no, it I know. It's Shutter spoil. Island. I don't even know her. Nailed it. It was a reach around, is what that was. Uh, those are the best ones. <laughs> but it is a. It does have a film on deception, and it's a film I really love. Yeah. So. Is that the deception you didn't think you would like it? No, just, <laughs> just that, that to to have an answer no, that's not no. as as clinical as Citizen Kane, yeah. but it's as emotional as Goodbye Lennon, but we can't discuss Goodbye Lennon, you know, like right. yeah, that'll that'll be my middle answer. Oh god damn it! I had it was such a good one. Uh, Can you picture the actor or actress who was in it? For some reason, the tourist made me think Lowest of it. buzzwords. This is great for podcast content. Yeah. <laughs> Just Joel in and awing through. The, the trick is if the listener is is shouting, shouting out, is it this? Like, is it Get this? it to me from the future. Come on, Joel. Oh, I'm not going to remember it. When we do our, 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 our exit stuff, I might think of it. Oh, was it a... Um, 
Arrival? No. That's a good one, too, though. But when you said, send me the answer from the future, yeah. that's <laughs> Circular. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm giving up on it. Arrival was a good one, though. That it was. was it was. Bird Box and um, Quiet Place and Annihilation. Mm-hmm. Interstellar. Not really movie long deceptions in some yeah, cases, just no. twists. Just good but, twists. Yeah. <laughs> just good movies now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Well, anyway, that was an excellent question, Joel. Awesome. Thanks. Actually, really. I Off the dome with that one. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I picked, which means, Tim, you're picking next. Oh, that's right. Dun, 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 what are you bringing us next month? <clears throat> so, I don't. For a while, I didn't know what this pick was going to be, but I know what my pick for the next cycle is going to be. So I was trying to find something Tell that would both kind of. of them. <laughs> no, we'll wait for the other one. So I was gonna. I was trying to figure out. Okay, what's the perfect thing in between? Clue. To pick out. It was Clue. Oh, oh okay. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Clue, is, Clue is great. That's a wonderful movie. I'm sorry. There was no way. I thought you were telling me to bring that. In. Well done. But good choice. Yeah, it's that's a, a good one. Movie. I'm sorry. We still don't know the answer to the end of that movie. <laughs> Never will. Okay, sorry. I was way too um, excited to have remembered that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I and there were a few different movies I was looking through, and and one of the things that I I try to shoot for as much as possible is like movies that neither of you have seen. So I remember part of the process was like, hey, have you guys seen this? And most of them, one of you had seen, but not the other. And so I was kind of like, ah. And then it finally got to the point where at Comic-Con, I went to, uh, I, I, I sorry, not Comic-Con, Denver Pop Culture Con. Attaboy. Joel, you can edit that out. No, I was waiting. We'll I was fix it in post. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. So, Listener, um, if you're hearing this, you already know we didn't fix it in post. <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. So at Denver Pop Culture Con, I went to see uh, Dan Fogler and... Um, you know he he's been in the uh, uh, um, uh, Fantastic Beasts movies, which I guess is what he's most famous for now. Which I haven't seen those. I, I mean, I've seen the original Harry Potter films. I'm not a huge fan. I like them, but you know I haven't followed everything religiously. Um, but what I loved him most from was Fanboys, and um, I even had him. And you should check if you follow me on social media, or you should go check out. Or if you don't, then you should follow me on, on Instagram. <laughs> Um, at Tim Gerard, the Tim Twitter, Gerard at, on before, Instagram. Yeah, I don't, I don't care about Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Hot take from Jim. Jim, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Jim. Jim. Um, yeah. I don't know who Jim is. You're Jim now, Tim. I okay. should be Jim. I'm, I'm the Jerry Jim Gerard yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just trolling you on Twitter. No, you're, no, you're now Jim. Tim is now Tot, and I'm Skull. What the heck? Oh, I get it. Just You're shifting the names yeah. one to the side. What did you call uh, Jorgen was my nickname. DPCC. <laughs> bringing that back. So it's <laughs> Jim and Jorgen. We need a, a J name Scoot. for you. Scoot. <laughs> Scoot and the J's. <laughs> all right, all right. So fanboys. So anyway, fanboys. So that's, you know, and I was like, as I'm saying this, I'm like, wait, I'm just revealing what it is. So anyway, I saw Dan Fogler. And I got him to do a line from uh, Fanboys for me. That's uh, always been like a huge uh, like private joke with me and my youngest sister. 
So it was like it was so great to be able to to get that recorded and to like send it to her. And I remember it being at Pop Culture Con, like sending her the video and then like just staring at my phone and then being like, "Have you seen the video yet? Like, <laughs> why is this taking so long?" Um, he commits to it too. Oh he, yeah, it was great. He just <laughs> and and what was funny was you know and again like this was sort of my own projection was one of the scenes. I, I won't talk about this too much. Anyway, I think it's the last time because he says that line. A few, and I'm not saying what the line is on purpose. I want you to watch the video to see the thing. And you'll probably watch it and be like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't remember that from the movie, if you've seen it. And that's part of the point. It was one of those kind of like subtle little things. Um, but I think it's the last time he says it. And there are, there are elements to this that make it, in my mind, comedic gold. And that was the scene that I was playing over. So then the way he reacted was completely different than what I was expecting. Um, so anyway, the movie is fanboys. I don't care that Joel's already seen it. We're gonna watch it again. <laughs> I'm excited to watch it again. It's I own amazing. that movie. I watched it once and then bought the movie. Yes, That's exactly. Like... <laughs> done, done deal. So for those of you who don't know, fanboys, um, it takes place. It was made after. Um, I don't know how many of the Star Wars prequels were made. At least after Episode One was made, but it takes place before it was made. And it's this group of guys who were all huge Star Wars fans. They were a group of friends. And they've kind of, you know, post-high school kind of fallen away from each other. One of them has, like, a regular job. One of them lives in his mom's garage. Uh, that's a little bit of a little Precursor. hint for it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so it turns out one of them has cancer. And they decide that they want. They get this big idea. We're going to do a big road trip. We're going to go to Skywalker Ranch. We're going to break in. Huh. And we're going to watch episode one. <laughs> before it comes out be, you know because they want to, they want their friend to be able to see it before he dies and <laughs> so just the premise is ridiculous but then everything else and also keep in mind part of why I also mentioned this knowing going into this knowing that episode, episode one already came out everyone has seen episode one and then went back and made this so it's the great part about it is the hope and the yes yes the, the 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 optimism that all of these characters have however they do make jokes based on okay we knew what episode one was and kind of poking fun at things that people are like yeah this is going to be so awesome and having seen it you're just like oh my god you were for a huge disappointment right. so the characters were all standing around and like oh man you know i heard i heard luke's is going to have a full cg character named jar jar isn't that pushing the edges of technology this is going to be great and like and then of course <laughs> knowing that Jar Jar turned out to be pretty right. pretty hated. Yeah. So, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So it's a bunch of stuff like that. We also get a little bit of uh, um, like Star Wars nerds versus Star Trek nerds. There's a little bit of That's that tied in, the in there. That's part of it. That's great. Um, there's actually one actor who plays three different roles in the film, which is really funny. Um, so like, it's such a cool mix. There's a bunch of really cool cameos, um, a bunch of like Star Wars trivia, um, yeah, it's 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 just it's such a good like Star Wars fan film. I mean, I I wonder if even people who've never seen Star Wars or don't care, they may might even enjoy it as a sort of like buddy comedy road trip kind of thing. Um, you probably wouldn't get a lot of the jokes that are making specific reference to that, but there are I don't know maybe maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe if you haven't seen Star Wars, then don't watch this film. But um, I remember watching this and feeling like this is the antithesis of Big Bang Theory, like. Like this, this is this is how nerds are, rather right? Than how yeah. people think nerds are, right? And not like, oh, they're all geniuses, and if you don't think they're funny, it's because you don't get their humor. It's no, like, they're no, horny, they're a bunch they of just, have yeah. vans, they listen to Rush, yes. and they like <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, and that was a thing too. Is like when I when I got to to talk to Dan Fogler, one of the things I told him was, I was like, I love your character 
in uh, Fanboys, like, your character is totally who I would be in that group of friends. <laughs> <laughs> and he just kind of looked at me like, is that a compliment? Or <laughs> I think that's how he was looking at it. I don't know. Maybe he was just, like, about to call security. And then I was like, okay, can we do this video real quick? But So anyway, so, yeah, in honor of that meeting with Van Fogler, we are watching Fanboys. It's going to be great. I can almost um, guarantee that my pick after Fanboys will probably be Star Wars because I want to want to watch it after ooh, that'll Fanboys. That'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then you'll have to wait I, three months to find out what my what next are pick you is. Setting in motion. Well, then after you pick Star Wars, I'll just pick the episode after the one you picked. And, and then, then I will we'll, fuck it. And up. then we'll get mad at him. <laughs> I was just gonna say, yeah. and then we'll get mad at him. Um, no, but that sounds great. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. excited. As the it'll only one good. here going in blind, I'm actually really interested. It'll be. I think it'll be interesting to get you. So, to yeah. watch it, yeah. Um, we hope you've uh, enjoyed this episode, listeners. We hope you'll come back for Fanboys. Uh, until then, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Hey, listeners. We appreciate you tuning in for our podcast. We're now available on iTunes if you'd like to check us out there. We'd be glad to have you subscribe. We'd also love to hear your feedback, whether it's a comment, review, or anything else. You can reach us all through our official Nerds That Geek emails, which you can find on the bio page at nerdsthatgeek.com. Or, if you can find us on social media, I'm on Instagram at Scott underscore W underscore Murray. And then on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Joel T18. And on Instagram, I'm the Tim Gerard. And on Twitter, I'm at Tim Gerard. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll come back for more.